Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. love and your support there's a lot, been a lot of people that have been reaching out and you know praying for Pastor Travis and the family and and I know that you, you might not have received a, a text back or a thank you you know or or a respondents back but I want you to know that they're being received and and they're very very grateful for that so continue to pray for Pastor Travis and it'll be just a matter of time before he's back up here and and doing what God's called him to do but in the meantime we appreciate your patience and prayers and support thank you God is always, always good, no matter the circumstance, and he's proven himself faithful and proven himself um, to be a healer and, and, and a God who cares for his children, and so it's been quite the amazing thing to watch. Um, so I've titled today's message, You've Got the Power, and I want to talk about something today that um, some of y'all might not know, or maybe you do know, um, but you've got a power inside of you, right, that dwells inside of you to accomplish everything that God's called you to do. And that is Jesus Christ. And, and I don't know, perhaps you've watched the news like I've been watching and, and reading. reading. It's, it's getting kind of crazy out in this world, isn't it? We're kind of in a uh, uh, term, I don't know. We're, we're in historical times is what I'll say. And, and I don't foresee it getting easier the next coming days, but we serve a God who's mighty. And I know that in times like today, like the the date that we're living in now, it's easy for us as the church to kind of become uh, worried. We can read the news and become frustrated at, the, at what we're reading and, and, and worried and fearful of the future. And, and it's easy for us to just sit back and to be silent and cower in fear almost and just wait for Jesus to come back. But I know that, that in today, I don't believe it's God's will for the church right now to be silent. I don't think it's our, our purpose right now and our calling to sit on our hands and hope that Jesus comes back sooner so we don't have to deal with the future. He's calling us today to go out into this world and to stand up as the body of Christ. And thank God we live in a country where we're able to express our freedoms and, and express our faith and to still be able to move in, in a mighty way that God is calling us to move in. But it's a matter of us realizing that we have a power inside of us and that Jesus is empowering us to do what he's calling us to do. Each and every one of us have been called to do things for God above and beyond our wildest expectations, right? Above anything we can imagine, he's calling you today to do things that you know in your heart you can't do, but we have to rely on him for the strength. There's been many people throughout history and throughout the Bible that have been called by God to do amazing and wonderful and great and crazy things. And they all had one thing in common. Same as you and I have today. Everybody that was called by God did not possess the ability or the qualities in them to fulfill what God was calling them to do. However, they did place themselves in a spot of, of having faith in God and saying, God, I know I'm not, I, I can't do this. I need your help and use me. And God uses people who are able, who are willing to, to, to give themselves wholeheartedly to, to him and to be moved by, uh, moved by God. All these people and throughout history, their power of, uh, has come from God, the same as it comes today. God often uses people who, are, who he knows are unable to do what he wants, to empower them, right, to fulfill his calling. He knows you're already unable to do what he's calling you to do, but he wants you to submit yourself in, 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 in full faith and, and just let him move, right? So today we're kind of going to go, uh, bounce around throughout the Bible today, but we're going to focus on, on Abraham. We're going to focus on the life of Moses and of Gideon as well as, as the disciples. So bear with me, put your seatbelts on, and, and I hope you brought your Bible and, and follow along, right? <laughs> Let's open up in prayer real fast. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I pray that you would just be with us as we, as we hear your word, God, and let me step aside. You know better than anybody here that I have nothing to say, Lord, on my own. But I ask that you would speak through me. Uh, let us hear the word that needs to be heard today, God, and, and just move in ways that only you can move, God. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. 
So we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham was an old man, right? If you're familiar with his story. He was 75 years old when God came to him in a vision and said, Abraham, you are going to have a child. You're going to become a father, right? He'd, he'd built up all this wealth. God had given him, given him land and wealth. Everything that the world says he's successful in, except he didn't have a child. But God came to him and says, you're going to be, be a father in your old age. Kind of crazy, right? God came to Moses. Moses, I love Moses' story. Because it's, it's such a radical, if you study it, such a radical thing that God called him to do. He was, a, he was just a, 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 a young baby when he was sent down the river, you know, and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter raised him up. And so Moses was, was raised in an elite status in Egypt, right? Very high up uh, until he grew older, right? And he, and he discovered and he realized how harshly his people were being treated by the Egyptians in slavery, and out of anger, he lashed out and he killed an Egyptian and, and he had to flee. And so God comes to Moses and says, I'm going to use you. You're a, you know, God knew he was a stutterer. He was a murderer. Um, but yet God still used him to lead the Israelites out of slavery. We're going to look at Gideon today. Gideon was a young man who was just thrashing wheat, living in a very uh, oppressed time during Israelite's history, or the Israel's history. God had handed Israel over to the enemies because they were doing evil in his sight. And just really tough time, horrible time. And God came to Gideon and said, listen, God is with you, mighty warrior. I'm going to use you to save my people. And that's exactly what he did. But all these men and, uh, these, and people throughout history all have one thing in common, like I said, is that, that to the world and possibly to themselves, they knew that they could not do what God was calling them to do, right? And that is because people look at the inadequacies of other people when God looks at the heart. God sees through all your, all your troubles and all your problems and, and, your, and your shortfalls, and he says, I can still use you. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at, but man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many times have you ever had somebody come up to you and, and say, man, you know what? I'm really feeling a move of God. God is, is calling me to become an author, to write a book, to write an amazing thing on theology. And you're thinking to yourself, like, come on. You, I've read your Facebook post. Like, you don't even know what a period is, right? Because you, you see the inadequacies. Or you, somebody comes up to you and says, I'm going to start a business. I got this great business idea. <laughs> yeah, good luck. You can't, even, you can't even handle your credit card, right? Or you can't, can't balance a checkbook. So where man looks at the inadequacies of other, man, of other men and other people, God looks through all that, looks at the heart and says, despite all that, despite what the world's telling you, I'm going to use you. We oftentimes look at ourselves and say, God, I'm a nobody, Right? I'm a nobody. You, you, you can't use me. You know who I am, what I've done? No, right? But you know, when God calls man, we're going to look at the calling today. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the calling, the struggle, and the faith. And so during the calling, most of the time, almost every time if you're me, when God calls you to do something, it's always wild. It's always crazy. It's outside of your comfort zone. And he'll come to you and say, listen, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. What, you, what happened? Well, I can't do that. God, I can't do that. All right, it's your turn. It's your Sunday this time. Get up there and preach. You know, you got you to fulfill your call. I'm calling you to do this. Well, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm busy. Do you know who I am? I don't even like talking on the phone. You're going to do it, right? So when, man, when God has a calling, man always has an excuse. But God always has an answer. Always has an answer. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to take a look at Moses' life. And as I said earlier, if you're familiar with Moses, he was, he was raised in Egypt. He became a murderer. He killed out of rage. Uh, Pharaoh found out and said, I want that man dead. And, and he begins to flee. Am I making all that noise up here? <laughs> he begins to flee out of Egypt. He goes to Midian. Uh, he, he, he meets a, a priest, marries, his, marries the priest's daughter. He becomes a, a shepherd of the priest's flock. And so fast forward to to Moses. He's a lot older than he was in Egypt, right? He's, he's out in the middle of, a, of the wilderness, and he's sitting out there, and it's probably, it's probably not a, a strange sight to see out in the desert. It's m probably much like north of Paul or north of Rupert in the summertime. Uh, lightning struck maybe, and a bush has caught on fire. And so Moses is sitting there tending to his flock, and he sees this bush on fire, and as he gets a little bit closer, he sees that the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed by the fire. Now, he's already probably thinking, this is, this is weird, right? 
And, and the Bible says that as God, God noticed that Moses was looking at the bush and God begins to speak to Moses through the bush. How wild is that? He's probably thinking, man, I, when I cut those mushrooms up, I grabbed the wrong one. Like he's looking at something crazy right now. But God begins to speak to him and he says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. It is, it's God that's speaking to him and he says, I'm going to use you. I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt and I'm going to use you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go so that they can come back here and worship me out of enslavement. Whew, that's crazy. Moses is looking at that bush and you know what he tells God? Exodus chapter 3 verse 11, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God has a calling. Man has an excuse. Who am I, God? I'm a murderer. I'm a stutterer. I can't talk. Who am I? You know what God says? Oh, you're right. Oh, I got the wrong bush. Oh, I was looking for, <laughs> I was looking for Jethro. Sorry, hang up. Butt dial. No. He <laughs> turns to Moses. <laughs> wrong bush. I'm sorry. Uh, he turns to Moses and he says, listen, I will be with you. And if you've got your Bibles or you've got an app on your phone, I want you to highlight that or underline those five words. I will be with you. Now think about who's telling Moses this. This isn't just some random Joe. This isn't Jethro out on the other side with the other sheep. This is God of the universe, the same God that hung the earth on its axis in space, who spoke the entire universe into existence, who crafted Moses in his mother's womb. He's telling Moses, the God of the universe, that I will be with you. That there should give you enough faith to say, okay, we'll go anywhere, God, right? He tells Moses, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That's quite the sign, isn't it? Like, how many of you all, if, when, when God speaks to you and he's called you to do something and, 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 and you're thinking, man, all right, God, if it's really you, show me a sign. I'm sure Moses was thinking the same thing. Well, okay, if I'm certain, okay, I got my shoes off. I'm standing on the holy ground, but am I really certain that this is God and I just didn't eat something funny? God, show me a sign. He's probably thinking that in his head, but what God tells Moses is, listen, your sign that it's truly me calling you to do what I want you to do, to go to Pharaoh, your sign that it's truly me is that you're going to go do it and you'll be successful and you'll worship me on this mountain. His sign will come after he takes that step of faith. Quite the sign. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 14. Let's look at Gideon. Now, now I, I should mention this. I didn't really go into it much in first service, but I'm talking about when God calls you. And, I, and if, if you're new to the faith or, or new in your walk in God, listen, I, I have never had audibly heard the voice of God. Never have I heard the voice of God. What happens is when, when you pray, when you're studying your word, the Holy Spirit comes in or, or you're driving your car, he'll impress upon your heart, right? And what you do is you take that and you check it with the word of God, right? God's never going to call you, God told me to go beat up my neighbor, so I'm doing what God called me to do, right? God's calling will always be based in biblical theology, in his word, okay? So I just thought I better clarify that in case I... Well, God told me I should go steal my neighbor's car. Like, I knew, Bo told me to listen to my calling. <laughs> no, I didn't. It's got to be biblical. So, <laughs> Judges chapter 6. <laughs> uh, so, we're, we're, we're coming across Gideon. Uh, as I said earlier, Gideon is living in a time where, where Israel, they just couldn't get their act together. And Judges, you know, they, they would go from one extreme. Oh, they're doing evil in the sight of God. God would hand them over. And then they'd get saved. And it was just on a repeat cycle. And so, they... They're at a point where God just gets fed up and they're doing evil. They're not obeying God. They're worshiping other, other gods and other idols. And, and God hands them over to the Midianites and to, to, to the enemies. And, and, and they're in such an oppressive time in their history that the Bible says they can't even keep crops in the field. They can't keep livestock alive because anytime anything good gets produced out of their hands, the enemy comes in, will camp in their fields and destroy everything they've got. And so, so the people, as a last resort, began crying out to God, saying, God, why don't you help me? And I think that's funny because how many of us go to God as a last resort? These people are in such desperate time that they don't think for a second, oh man, God has taken our people out of Egypt because this is after Moses. God's done all these miraculous things in our history. Maybe we should go to him first and, say, and repent of our sin and say, God, I'm sorry. But instead, 
we go through our junk in our life and we wonder, God, why am I struggling, Lord? And you go to everybody and underneath the sun except for God. So these people finally, it says, as a last resort, cry out to God because they're so tired of their oppression for help. And it says that God hears their cry, hears their voice, and he, and he decides to help them. And so Gideon is a young man. He's thrashing weed. He says he's, he's thrashing weed in a wine press because he's trying to hide it from from the Midianites trying to keep it so that they don't come and take it from him. So he's thrashing his wheat and pretty soon the angel of the Lord pops up underneath the tree and, and looks at Gideon and says, hey, God is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon, not knowing, not realizing at the time that this was God, uh, he looks at him and says, no, God ain't with us. God ain't with us. If he was, we wouldn't be going through all the troubles that we were going through. In fact, I think God has left us, Right? He, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, listen, I've heard all these stories of, of God helping our people. And now we're here and he's left us. And God looks at him in verse 14. says that the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So he calls Gideon. He says, listen, you're going to be the one I'm going to use to save my people. I've heard their cries and it's your turn now. But when God has a calling, man always has an excuse. Gideon turns to the Lord. He says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And from a, 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 a human perspective, <laughs> this is kind of a legit excuse, right? Like, not only do I belong to the weakest clan in the entire region, but I am the weakest person in this weakest clan in the whole region. Like, I'm the least person who's capable of doing anything. God, I can't do this. But where man has an excuse, God always has an answer. And he says the same thing that he told Moses. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. God doesn't just, just, just plan on us doing life on our own. You know, he didn't just make a plan and... and, 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 and and save us, you know, send Jesus down to die on a cross for our sins so we can find salvation, and then boom, we're on our own. Good luck, you know. That's not how it is. He promises to be with you and I. Christianity's active, and the active part isn't to be by yourself as you're trying to do things and do life. You're called to do it with God because he promises, I will be with you. That should be enough to build our faith, but oftentimes it isn't. Now we're going to take a look at Abram. Abraham, but this is in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. This is before Abraham's name was changed. Um, his name was Abram. So Abram, as I said, he was wealthy, successful in the eyes of man. You know, he had all kinds of, of servants and name it. Somebody that I think that even today we would look at and we say, man, that guy's pretty successful. He must be very wise in his business. You know, just a, a successful guy. I want to be like that. But, but in fact, all that Abraham wanted was one thing, right? So Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God comes to Abram in a vision, and he tells Abram, hey, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, Abram, he, he, you know, he's sitting in a position where he's been praying for a child. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So, God, you have given me all kinds of things, Lord. You've given me everything I could possibly imagine under the sun. But the one thing that I've been praying for and I've been wanting is, is a child. He's 75 years old now at this point. Can you, in his mid-70s, can you imagine now after living a lifetime of, of working and, 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 and trying to build a life and serving God, you, all you wanted was a child and it never came. And now at age 75, God comes to you in a vision and says, you're going to be a father. <laughs> No, I ain't. <laughs> Lord, I'm 75. Wrong person once again. No. And so he says, God, listen, how can you give me anything else when you've given me everything and all I want is one thing? I'm, a, I'm old. I can't have a child, right? God says, listen, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so God calls man... He calls us, right, to do something. We come up with an excuse most of the time, but God always has an answer. I will be with you. And unlike Moses 
or Gideon, Abram's answer was not, well, Lord, you know, I'm old. Really, I don't think that, that, that well's dried up. You know, that ain't possible. What the Bible says is that Abram believed God and had faith in him, and it was counted towards him as righteousness. And so he had faith, and he believed God at first. And he said, okay, God, sure, right? But what happens when any sort of time passes? Doubt came in. Doubt came in. Because when, you know, if you've ever been in the same position I've been, God tells you something or you know that, okay, I'm going to be healed from this sickness or, or so-and-so is going to be saved or I'm going to get this job, I'm going to have this, I just have to go, you know, God told me it's going to happen. And, and you expect it to happen immediately, right? When God tells you something, we as people think, okay, it's going to happen tomorrow when I wake up. But the problem came with Abram here in Genesis 16. He had great faith in God, but time passed. And his timeline was different than God's timeline, and he got him mixed up and confused. It says in Genesis 16, starting in verse 1, it says, Now now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram, I'm sure, reluctantly agreed. He says, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So... (laughs) I'm sure she really had to convince him pretty hard on that one. Um, So Abram said, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, and so 10 years has gone by since God came to him in a vision and said, you're going to be a father. And so 10 years have passed by, an entire decade. He's now in his mid-80s, still no children, right? He believed God at first, but now time has happened. I'm sure he thought as soon as God came to him and said, listen, you're going to be a father. I'm sure he thought the next time he goes to bed with his wife, somehow she's going to become pregnant and she's going to have a child just like that instantly, you know, that moment. But 10 years have gone by. Does that mean that God has changed on his promise? God doesn't change. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. The problem is, is that we often don't align our timeline with his. We were focused thinking, well, God, you got to work on my timing when I think it needs to be done. When in reality, he's saying, no, you rely on my timing, on God's timing, right? So Abram, what happened was he began to listen to the voice of other people. And, he, and, that, and those voices began to cloud and to block the promise of God. Ten years have gone by, and I'm sure his wife is saying, you know, man, Abram. Still no child. I'm, I'm old. Like, we got to do something. Maybe God said you're going to have a child, but maybe he said you're going to have some, you know, child some other way. Which goes back to, listen, God told you you're married to your wife. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't cheat on your spouse. Keep it biblical. But he listened to Sarai and said, listen, maybe you're right. Maybe I should sleep with your maidservant. Maybe that's what God meant. Right? <laughs> which isn't what he meant. So he lost patience with God. And it's easy for us to, 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 to blame Abram and to say, listen, well, you should have just had faith in God. He said he's going to do it. But we say that because we know the end of the story. We know what happens. But when our lives, when God tells us something and, and, and we feel God's going to move and we're waiting and we're expecting a mighty move of God and, a, and something to, for him just to take control in our life, when it doesn't happen in our timeline, what happens? We lose patience with God ourselves. We lose patience with God. It's exactly what Abram did. When I was young in my faith, um, the biggest thing that I struggled with was thinking, you know, God, now that I'm saved, now that I'm serving a God who loves me, God, because you love me, because there is a God, my life is going to be easy, right? (laughs) Lord, I said the sinner's prayer. I should go look at my bank account and I should have money in the bank. Credit card's going to call me tomorrow. Credit company's going to call me tomorrow and forgive my debt, right? The government doesn't want my taxes. My home's going to be paid off. We expect our life to be easy, but it doesn't become easy. God never promised your life would be easy. In fact, Jesus himself said, when you give your life to me and you become a Christian, it's going to become a little difficult, right? It's going to become even harder. People are going to hate you. You're going to come into struggles. You're going to just have a harder time than you got now. Life is never easy. But I used to do that. Man, God, I've, why am I still struggling anytime I go through a hard time? Lord, I've been doing everything right. I pray. I read my Bible. I go to church. I'm doing what you said I should do. I don't do this. I don't do that. But everybody else I know is, is doing the exact same thing that I, my flesh wants to do. And yet they're still successful and I'm still struggling. What the heck? But my, my, uh, my faith, you know, it's not that I lost my salvation 
But it was me just, just, just forgetting and not realizing that, listen, my life isn't dependent, you know, God's goodness isn't dependent upon my life. Uh, God still is going to do the things he says he's going to do, just not in my timing. So we have to sit back and understand that God is still God despite what you're going through, despite the way you are. Even if you are going through a hard time, what's he say? I will be with you. Trust in, trust in God. Let's take a look at Moses. So we find Moses. So God spoke to him through the burning bush. He tells Moses, listen, go to Pharaoh. You're going to show him signs and wonders. You're going to convince him to let my people go. And, and there's an exchange that takes place. Moses is like, no, God, I'm a stutterer. I can't talk eloquently. He's coming up with list after list after list of excuses. And finally, it says that God's anger, that he, he, his anger began to burn at Moses. And, and he says, fine, take your brother Aaron, take Aaron, but you're still going. And finally, it gets to a point where Moses is convinced and, and he's strong in his faith. And he's saying, all right, God, sure, it is you that is calling me. You are calling me to go to Pharaoh. Let's do this, man. I got God on my side. You promised to be with me. And so I can only imagine Moses, his faith is built up. He's excited to do what God's calling him to do, to serve God and, and, to, and to be used by him. And so he goes before Pharaoh. And you know how excited and the encouragement, the courage that he had to stand before Pharaoh, him and, Pharaoh, or him and Aaron go up, stand before Pharaoh, and they look at him and say, Pharaoh, you let my, God says to let my people go so that they can come out of slavery and worship me. And you know he's already got the confidence and he's sitting there and what happens? Pharaoh looks, does he look at him and say, mm, okay, sure, good point, all right. Uh, yeah, Moses, haven't seen you in a while, you know, don't even really know who you are. Uh, yeah, uh, Dave, why don't you let all the Israelites go? This guy's telling me God should let them go. Okay, they're all free, right? That's not what happened. What happened was the exact opposite of what Moses was thinking in his head, I'm sure. He tells Pharaoh, hey, God says you need to let my people go. Pharaoh looks at Moses and and I'm sure looks him up and down, and, and Moses is sitting there with all the confidence, and that confidence begins to drain as he hears Pharaoh say, listen, that's pretty interesting, huh? But guess what, Moses? I don't know this God. I don't know whose authority you come at me with. So no, I'm not going to let my people go. In fact, now that you came to me and asked me to let them go, I'm going to make them work even harder. I want to make them work even harder. They're building these bricks, and they've, they're supplied all the straw and all the supplies they need to build these bricks, but now I'm going to make them go get their own supplies, and I expect them to make just as many as they've been making. I'm going to work them harder, make their life even harder. You know Moses' bubble just burst right on the spot. His faith would probably crash down thinking, man, God, you sent me here. And he, it says in Exodus 5, that Moses returns to the Lord, and he says, oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued them at all. God, is this a joke to you? He's angry with God because he, he thought he knew that God, he thought he knew God's plan was his problem. He thought, okay, God told me he's going to, you know, going to use me to set my people free. And I finally went to Pharaoh and none of this happened. And now their life is even worse than it was to begin with. God, you haven't done anything. Is this a joke? Do you hate me? You haven't rescued your people at all. And it's easy for us to look at Moses like we do Abraham and say, Moses, seriously? God had a plan. But we say that because we know how the story ends. We know that eventually after many plagues and, and going to Pharaoh, that, that Pharaoh finally is able to, you know, convince to let his people go. And then he changes his mind as they're leaving and the whole, you know, the seas part and they get across the river and the water's coming to defeat the Egyptians and they, and they, you know, go on from there. So we know how the story ends. We know that Moses was successful. But picture this, Moses does not realize that. In Moses' perspective, he was, he was confident in his walk with God. He was confident in the Lord to, to, to supply him the strength to go to Pharaoh and that he was going to do exactly what Moses thought God was going to do. And God didn't do that. And he's looking at God and saying, God, do you hate me? Was this some sort of sick joke? What's going on here? So we can blame Moses, but we're equally to blame for having the same you know, lack of faith. How many times have, have you just been so confident in the fact that God is calling you to do something and you do it, whether it be to, to move, maybe God's called you to move out of your country. I spoke to a gentleman this morning who's moved from Europe to here. Big step of faith, right? 
Maybe God's called you to make a giant move that you're uncomfortable with, but you've, you've, you've got faith in God and said, okay, I'll do it. And you move and your job ends up falling through. And now you're almost destitute and you don't know what's going on. And you're blaming God. Is this seriously what you wanted, God? Maybe it's like an estranged family member. Maybe you all had a big old blowout or something in the past and God told you, listen, I need you to go to so-and-so and just apologize. Make things right. Go talk to them. And so you finally get up the courage after all those years to go to the front porch. You knock on that door and they open up the door and you say, man, it's so good to see you. And you're expecting a hug and you're expecting them to greet you. What happens? You get a door in your face. Really, God? Really? But in reality, you might just be planting a seed. Moses didn't know the whole picture. We don't know the whole picture the way God works. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. We can't understand the mind of God or the way that he works. Our job is just to trust him wholeheartedly, knowing, it, you know, despite our circumstances, knowing that he's still at work when we can't see him, knowing that he's still working behind the scenes and he's working all things together for, for good, right? The Bible says that, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes, Right? So it's not our job to try to get the whole picture, but it can become very, very disheartening when things don't work out the way we think they're going to work out. Our job is to trust in God wholeheartedly and know that he's going to do what he says he's going to do when, you know, when he wants to, not in our timing. I listened to a, a pastor down in Texas who, who was raised, you know, his childhood wasn't really uh, the best childhood. His dad was in, uh, struggled with alcoholism and, and running around on his mom. His mom um, tried to abort him in the womb. That didn't go so well. Just terrible stuff. Didn't have enough money. Very, just very rough childhood and, and a lot of abuse and stuff. And, and so he t- tells a story about a time where, where they would get their food stamps, you know, and they'd go to the grocery store the same, about the same day, same time of the week, and uh, every week. And he says uh, an old, older lady come up to him, up to her mom when he was a child, and said, listen, ma'am, um, I just want to let you know that, that God loves you, he loves your children, and he's got his hand on your children, he's got a, amazing plans and a future for your kids, and they're going to do great things for God. Now, it probably took this, 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 this gal all that she could muster to walk up to a, a, a mother. You know, you can see a mother in the grocery store with a bunch of kids. You, you want to stay away because you probably know it ain't going to, you know, she's not in the mood to talk to you anyways. So, <laughs> I've, been, I've been to the grocery stores with kids and I don't go grocery shopping with my kids because I understand. So, anyway, it took faith for her to walk up to this woman and, and, and she tells her all this stuff. And the mom looks at, looks at the older lady and says, listen, God doesn't care about people like me. God can't use people like us. God doesn't love us and walks away. What do you think happened to that woman? She, she probably took all that she had to walk up thinking this is going to be good, God. This is exactly what you want me to say. And she's turned away. Bub- bubbles burst like Moses in front of Pharaoh. But do you know that that woman was simply passing or planting a seed in the heart of that mother? She probably never saw the final outcome of her words to that mother, but, but, but she was planting a seed. A seed was planted in that mom's heart, and that mom went home and began to, 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 to think about what she was told by this woman. And pretty soon she became saved, decided she's taking her kids to, the, to church. The husband through the mother, seeing the radical change that God is making in, in her life and the wife's life, uh, became saved and, 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 and delivered from alcoholism. And now her children, she's got multiple pastors in the family and they're changing their legacy. All because a lady out of faith walked up and did exactly what God called her to do. Amen? Amen. And so, so it's not our responsibility to, to figure out the whole picture. Perhaps you're not, you're not in charge of the whole crop. You're just in charge of planting the seed. Our job is to trust that God is in control always and to do what he tells us to do out of faith. So let's look at Gideon. So like I said earlier, you know, Gideon was called by God. He was thrashing wheat. God comes to him and says, uh, I am with you, or God is with you, mighty warrior. And uh, Gideon turns to God and he says, listen, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you've promised, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. And so Gideon, even after seeing God face to face, knowing for certain that this is God calling him to do it, and God says, I'll be with you. Don't you worry about nothing. He still required a sign from God. How many times do you do? All right, God, listen. Listen, I trust you. I do. I really do, God. I believe in you. Um, but hey. 
could be embarrassing if I mess up or if I'm wrong. You know, it's a big move. This is, you know, it's a big amount of money you want me to give. Whatever it might be. Show me a sign, Lord. Just write on my car window in frost or something or some crazy sign, right? We ask for signs all the time, and Gideon was the same way. So he asked for a sign with the fleece. And, and even that, God finally says, says listen, it, it happened. God gave him a sign. You would think, okay, finally, God, listen. It is you call me. Let's do this. No. He still doubted God. He still doubted God. He had struggles. So he comes to God in verse 39, and he says, listen. Uh, yeah, I know you already showed me once, and I know it's you, but uh, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, and this time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night, God did so. So listen, Gideon doubted God, and he doubted himself. These men are no different than you and I are today. This was thousands of years ago. They still struggled with doubt. Even the fact that all Abraham, Moses, and Gideon all saw God face to face and talked to him and heard his voice. And, and, you should, and you would think that that alone would be enough for them to just do whatever. They still doubted because they still struggled with the ideas that, listen, I'm inadequate. Gideon's probably thinking, I know the capability of the enemy. I know what they can do. And I know who I am. I'm the weakest man, God. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm actually listening to you. Am I right? They struggled with doubt. Gideon doubted God and he doubted himself, even though he literally had God show up in person, person and tell him that he would be successful at saving Israel. He still doubted. But the amazing thing about our God is that God had grace on Gideon. Grace enough to say, okay, okay, I'll show you a sign. I'll show you two signs. Gideon doubted. And I'm not here to, you know, I'm, some people will tell you it's, it's wrong to doubt God or it's wrong to ask the question why. It's not. To ask God why. Jesus himself looked up to heaven as he's hanging on the cross and turned his eyes and said, why, God? Why have you forsaken me? So the problem doesn't lie in asking why. The problem is when we keep asking why, when we keep doubting. Doubting isn't the problem. It's when we keep doubting God. Because at some point, he expects you and I to step out in faith and to trust him. And not just keep doubting. Gideon doubted, God showed grace, and Gideon prevailed. If you're familiar with his story, that could be a whole other message on its own, and it might be. But Gideon, so God calls him, you're going to save Israel. He asks for signs. Pretty soon, Gideon begins to round up a bunch of people, right? He begins to round up a bunch of men to help him fight. And what does God do? Okay, that is great. You're gonna, you guys are going to be successful. God comes to him and says, actually, you've got too many people now. You've got too many people. Because if you win now with this amount of people, the glory is not going to be on me it's going to be on you, Gideon, so let's cut those numbers back. You know Gideon's thinking, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, <laughs> listen. And so God cuts his numbers back, gets it down to a number. Gideon's like, okay, how about this? God's like, eh, too many still. So they go through all these crazy things. God gets it down to a number to where all the glory is no doubt going to be on God at the end. That's the purpose of our life, guys. We shouldn't be out trying to do what God wants us to do or trying to do things to bring glory on us. It's all to belong to God, right? I think about myself. My, I shouldn't be up here, quite frankly. So <laughs> I just want you all to know to be encouraged that the fact that I'm up here doing this, knowing me, uh, it's completely God. All the glory belongs to him. But when we do things, it, we shouldn't have ourselves in mind. But at some point, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question God, but we need to step out in faith. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith. Easier said than done though, right? Easier said than done. Oftentimes, doubt comes when we allow the voice of the enemy in our lives. Amen. I'm here to tell you, you have an enemy. The Bible talks about Satan being an enemy of the children of God. When God begins to speak, how often does Satan come back right behind you trying to take that away and, and, and put doubt in your heart? As he did with Abram. Hey, did God really say you're going to be a father? I mean, you're pretty old. Hasn't happened yet. Came to Moses. You know, you really can't speak. Very well. Who are you to go up? He comes to you and I. Nobody's going to believe that you're saved. You know what you've done. Ain't nobody going to believe what you've done. You ain't nobody. 
God can't use you. When God plants a seed in our heart, he comes back. Satan is right behind him trying to take that away from us. And it's our responsibility when God puts a seed in the soil of our heart to seal that up and protect that with all costs and have faith in God. I know, and listen, God, you are who you say you are. You are God Almighty. You do love me, and I can do all things for you. Amen? Amen. The Bible talks about the enemy. Satan is, is, is roams around like a lion to kill, steal, and destroy. How often do you see, like on National Geographic in the savannas, the lions, the way they catch their prey is they go around, they're seeking an animal who's hurt, who's sick, who's a little slow. They don't go after the fast ones, the healthy ones. They go after the ones that they know they can catch. The same way with Satan. If we allow any sort of doubt to come in our hearts and to keep it there and to let it fester and to turn ourselves away from God, guess what? The attack comes. But when we place our, our focus on Christ and realize, listen, my life is too short to live on my own. I, you know, things are going on. God, use me 100%. I'm here. I am yours. And we seal God's promise in our heart that he's going to use you and I, that he's with us. The God of the universe, I will be with you. That's when faith comes into play. There's any farmers in the house that raise sugar beets? Anybody? A couple, maybe. Only crazy one. So a sugar beet, very teeny tiny little seed, Right? Very tiny. It's, if you take all the treatment stuff we put on it, it's a little black, tiny seed. You plant that in the ground. Most of the time, you hope that you never have to replant a, a crop, but most of the time, you end up replanting some at least once, twice, three or four times, depending on the year. Uh, but when you replant that, I like to replant them, especially if it's later on in the season, just, just underneath the surface. Like instead of three quarters of an inch, I'll put like a quarter of an inch down in hopes that we can hurry up and water it, keep it wet, and it'll pop up quick and catch up to the rest of the crop. But you know what happens if when we replant, the biggest struggle is when you put that seed in the dirt and it's so shallow, you get voles and you get birds that can smell that seed under the ground and they'll come through and they'll begin to rob that seed and be able to pull it out and pretty soon your seed is gone. You'll have rows where there's no sugar beets left because those, those voles and stuff came and got them the same way in our heart. If we're not protecting that seed, that calling that God's placed on our lives and, and turning away from our sin, we're going to struggle. Satan's going to be right behind us. And so we have to stand firm in our faith and understand that doubt might, may come, but we're not going to hold on to that doubt. And we're going to turn to faith in God and saying, listen, you've taken me from here. You've placed me here and you're going to take care of me in the future. When Satan begins to remind you of who you used to be and what you've done, you start reminding him of who he is and where he's going and who you actually are. You know, listen, I might have been a sinner. I might have been the biggest sinner in the past. I might have been a sinner last night, but you know what? My God's grace is, is, is never ending. His mercies are new each and every day. And I'm a child of God who's saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm no longer, no longer walking on my own, but I'm following Jesus. And he might be carrying me part of the way. But I'm a child of God. Amen. Start reminding him of where he's going. So Abraham, Moses, Gideon, they all had one thing in common. They struggled with doubt. They struggled with fear. They all said that they, they all told God, listen, I don't possess the qualities that you've told me I have. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't go to Pharaoh. I can't bear a child. I'm old. You know, it's been 10 years. I can't defeat the, 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 the Philistines or the Midianites. I can't do that, God. They all doubted themselves. But the biggest thing is that they stepped out in faith. You know that God already knows that you're incapable of doing the things he's calling you to do on your own. He already knows your heart. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you struggle. But what he wants from you is not, not you, just you. He wants your faith. He wants you to stand back and say, God, listen. I know that I'm incapable of doing this, God. But with you, all things are possible. So I'm yours 100%. Use me. That's what he wants is your faith. Not just your faith. You know, faith, the Bible talks about, Jesus said that even faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Faith, it's what pleases God. These men stepped out in faith, knowing good, good well that, you know, Moses knew as he stepped out that he could have been killed on the spot in front of Pharaoh. Gideon knew he could have been slaughtered, especially as God began cutting back his armies, but he sat and he trusted God in his word and in his promise that he'll be with them. They believed that God was able and that he was God who keeps his promises, who's never ending, never changing, and who's with them. You know, I look to Billy Graham. Um, I really, Billy Graham was such a, an amazing 
leader, an example that somebody I look up to. I love his, his preaching style, and I, but most importantly, I, I, not that I just love the way he preached. I love the way that he used his whole life and just said, God, use me, you know. He, he was a man who, who preached to 200 million people in person. Amen. That's not like over the TV. That's like you and I are doing, 200 million people. You would think that a man who, 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 uh, who was next to presidents and world leaders and, and preaching the gospel and doing great things for God would, would have full confidence in his ability to do what God's called him to do. But I watched an interview that even at the, 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 the end of his ministry, you know, he still said, even to this day, when I stand up to preach and present the gospel and, and do what God wants me to do and, and what he's called me to do, he said he still struggled. He believed that he was inadequate. He believed that he couldn't do it. But yet... He stood back and he said, God, use me. And because of him, 200 million people heard the gospel of Jesus, right? That doesn't include people on TV and the people who are on the recordings. But it's, you, can, you can change the world just by saying, yes, Lord, use me. Use me. I want you to know today that you have what it takes to do what God called you to do. And that thing is Jesus Christ. When God called you out of your sin... And said, listen, I love you enough to give my son for you. That was a calling in your life to step up and to trust in him, knowing that everything that comes from here on out, I've got the power in me to withstand it because Jesus Christ is walking with me. He dwells inside of me and ain't nothing can take me. Even if it does take me this side of heaven, nothing can kill me. Amen. This whole world is getting so crazy that, that everybody is trying to find something to stand on. Everybody's trying to find something to fill the void in their heart. They're trying to find something to bring that peace and that, that rest. And I'm telling you right now, there is nothing in this world that is going to bring the kind of peace and the kind of salvation except for, except for Jesus Christ that he can bring you. Amen? Oftentimes, we try to, try to build our foundations on things that are going to be washed away. But you know what I've learned, and I'm glad that I've learned it earlier on in my life rather than later, but I have learned that I can put my faith in a lot of things, but there's one thing, one person that I can put my faith in that will be never ending, and that is Jesus. When I build my solid rock, my foundation on the rock that is Jesus Christ, I don't put my faith in my money. I don't put my faith in my possessions. I don't put my faith in who is in office or, 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 or who's the world leaders or what the stock market's doing. I put my faith on Jesus Christ because when everything else comes crumbling down, I'm still standing on the rock. He'll still have me. And because I know that, 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 that uh, Jesus, that I'm following him and, and, and God loves me enough to care for me, when God says move, I'm going to move out of faith. Does that mean I'm, I'm not going to struggle? I probably am. Always going to have struggle. Always might struggle with doubt. I pray God would give me strength to do it. But I know that even in my doubt, even in my struggles, God's still with me, still empowering me, still walking with me and using me to be able to, to, to present the gospel and change this world. So we've looked at the calling. We've looked at the struggle. Now let's look at the faith. Let's turn your Bibles to the New Testament. We're going to get out of the old ones. We're going to go to the book of Mark. It's right after Matthew. Uh, so Mark chapter 6, uh, starting around verse 30, something like that. Uh, so we can see in Mark, uh, in Mark chapter 6 what happens when you and I begin to walk in faith, right? Even when we're up against the impossible, impossible situations, we can read in Matthew, or Mark chapter 6 what happens when we surrender our lives and we surrender in faith to God. If you're familiar with this story, it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, uh, and so we're at a time right now where Jesus, they decide, okay, we've been preaching all day or whatever. We're going to go away and try to get some rest and find something to eat. Well, the crowd found out that they were, where they were going, where Jesus and the disciples were going, and they actually met Jesus there. And it says, the Bible says there was 5,000 men. But during the time that the Bible was written, they didn't really count women and children. And so there could have been about 10 or 15,000 people in this big old group of people. And, and it says in verse 35 that by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to Jesus and they said, listen, this is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And so they're telling Jesus, listen, we got a lot of people here. Uh, they're going to start getting hangry and you better send them away because they got a long ways to go. And, and you better hurry up and tell them to go so they get something to eat and we can get some rest. What does Jesus tell them? Verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. 
that's crazy. <laughs> like, I'm sure they probably thought he was joking. Like, yeah, oh, very funny, Jesus. Yeah, uh, you better send him away. <laughs> like, we ain't got nothing to eat. But he says, you feed them. So that's the calling. Jesus is calling his disciples, feed these people. You know that Jesus knew that they had no, there was no way in their human abilities that they could have fed 5, 10, 15,000 people. They they didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough supply. He knew this already. But what he wanted from the disciples was their faith. He wanted their faith in him, right, to be able to do the impossible. Jesus already knows you and I aren't good enough. We're not strong enough. He knows that we're not equipped with the the words to say, with the ways to walk or the ways to talk or or the know-how on how to do anything. He knows our inabilities. He just wants you. And once he has you, once you surrender yourself in faith, he'll add everything else and make up the difference. He's not worried about your, how ill-equipped you are. He just wants you. He wanted the disciples to know who he is. And so he says, says to, uh, to the disciples, you feed them. And they reply, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go spend that much on, our, on bread and give them to eat? Give them something to eat? Half a year's wages, Jesus. Now you're talking crazy talk. Like, seriously. Like, I ain't going to feed them. That costs too much. You feed them. These guys are struggling with doubt. And what I find funny, kind of funny, but we still do the same thing, is that, that these men, his disciples, up to this point have seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He's, they've seen Jesus heal people with horrible, deadly sicknesses and, and illnesses. They've seen him turn water into wine. So they know Jesus' ability to do the impossible. And yet they're standing in front of Jesus realizing that maybe he's not joking and saying, Listen, we can't afford that much food. How are we going to feed him? How many times have you and I been, you know, God's walked with us in our life and he's, we've been brought through amazing things and, and he, he, maybe he's healed you or he's provided for your needs in ways that you never thought you could be provided for and he's moved and done amazing things in those around, in the lives around you. But now today, right now, you're standing in a very shaky future, in a very shaky situation and you're questioning God's ability now to take care of you, even though he's taken care of you in the past what the disciples are doing. Yeah, Jesus, you can perform miracles. We've seen all this crazy stuff, but you can't feed these people. God, it's true, Lord. Yes, you have helped me. You have saved me out of a lot of things. and You've, you've walked with me a long time, but there ain't no way you can, you can handle this situation today. There ain't no way, Lord. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, hey, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And you know these guys are just shaking their head like so, seriously, we're going to go count our food? You know we ain't got enough. We got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. It says that he also divided the two fish among them all. And verse 42, I want you to underline that in your Bible. It says that they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 5,000 men have eaten off of two loaves or five loaves and two fish. And they're still left over with 12 baskets of broken pieces of fish and bread. God doesn't care how little you have. It doesn't matter how little you have or how little you think you have. God can take that and he can use it. I love that verse. They all ate and they were satisfied. God can do the impossible with even the little that you have. Even if all you have is yourself. God, I ain't got nothing to be used by you, Lord. But I got got myself. Use me some way, somehow. Dangerous prayer. But an effective one. one God wants you to pray and saying, God, use me. And he's going to use you. But it just takes you understanding that out of your faith that God is God Almighty. That he loves me. That he cares for me. That he'll take care of my future the same way he's he's taking care of my past. I don't care what tomorrow brings. I don't care what my circumstances say now. I I don't know. You know, I, I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about the situations. I just know who holds tomorrow and who's taking care of my future. Who's taking care of my past. Right? Anybody familiar with the Statesman Quartet? Anybody? Anybody old enough to... There you go, got one. So nobody really. Okay, the best quartet in the whole wide world from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, 
Back to Elvis, great, great quartet. Anyway, they had a song called He's Already Done What He Said He Would Do, right? God's already done. He's already got everything worked out in the future for what he said he was going to do yesterday. You just have to worry about, about trusting in him, understanding that he's got the future in, in his hands, and it doesn't matter our timeline or when we think things need to be done. Just trust in him and know that, yeah, my future might be shaky. I might go through some ups and downs, but God, you still have me in your hands. You've never left me, and you're always with me. Man, ain't nobody know the Statesman Quartet, really. <laughs> you got one. Yeah, all of them, right? I love them. Well, turn, check it out on Spotify. Y'all probably, I don't know, think I'm crazy. I should have been born in the 40s, but, but I'll let that slide. But. <laughs> so Jesus can take how little, uh, you know, even the little that you have and use it for good. So I want to ask you as I close today, what's God calling you to do today? What's that dream? Perhaps it's a dream that, that he's called you to 10, 15 years ago. And you keep telling him, no, God, listen, God, I'm incapable of doing this. Or I'm incapable of doing that. Or this person, we can never reconcile, God, because that just never ended well. Lord, I ain't got nothing. So what's that? What's he calling you today? Because I know in this church, we've got people that, are, you know, there's something amazing going on in Grace Church today. Something amazing. You know how many baptisms we've had just this month? God is moving in this place. And he's not moving to save people so that they can become saved and we can just come to church on Sundays and not do anything. He's, he, he's, he's trying to equip us and to call us out of our junk and out of our misery so we can turn from our sin and look up to him and say, God, use me somehow. This world is not going to be changed for the gospel. This world will not know who Jesus is unless you and I hit the ground running and get our hands dirty. Amen. We're not called to live a comfortable life. You're not always going to feel comfortable in your faith. And what I found, listen, what I, what I found is when I'm uncomfortable with something that God wants me to do, then I know it's going to end up okay because, you know, I'm uncomfortable. God is, not, is calling you out of your comfort zone today to do amazing things, but it just takes us answering the call of yes. Yes, Lord, use me. Somehow, some way, what I've got, use me. Seven billion people in this world that need to know the love of God, right? Yes. And he's going to use us to do it. So just be open, be willing to be used by God and answer that call. And if you are here and it's been a very long time since you've talked to God and you gave your heart to him a long time ago, but life happened, or maybe you don't even know who I'm talking about, this Jesus. You never understood the love that there is for you from God. You just think that, man, life is life. I'm a nobody. God couldn't use me. Listen, I'm here to tell you he can. I'm living proof that God can use anybody and everybody. But that he loves you, most importantly. That there's a God who loves you. I'm not just talking about the kind of love that man gives. Man's love is unconditional, or conditional, you know, based upon who you are, your status, what you've done. From God's love doesn't matter doesn't care what you've done yesterday. He's already, he's already figured out your problems, your sin, by giving his son Jesus to die on a cross. I have a son I wouldn't give for you guys. I love you like a lot of y'all. I wouldn't give my son for you, but God's already got that figured out. He's done everything in his possible, that, that is possible on his side of things to come to you and say, listen, I love you. I want you to be a part of my family. I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want to use you. It's just a matter of you saying, yes, Lord, answering the call. You don't have to live in your junk. Your life ain't going to be perfect. But you don't have to live in the desperation, in the unfulfillment, in the sin, in the addiction. You don't have to. And so if you're sitting here today and you've just happened to find yourself at Grace Church and here to some random guy who technically isn't the senior pastor, just a guest pastor speaking, I want you to know that you're not here just by happenstance. You didn't just show up here. It's because God is calling you the same way he calls everybody else to do something. Amen? He's just waiting on you to answer the call. He's going to equip you to do anything that he calls you to do. It's just a matter of us having faith and understanding that though the doubt may come, though the struggles may come, God's still God. He's still on the throne and he's still with me. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you for each and every one of us who are here today at Grace Church, God. 
I'm thankful for the body of Christ throughout the world, Lord, and, 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 and all the gifts that you've given us, God. And I pray that you would just take this seed, help us to plant it in good soil, Lord, and that we're able to be a people who are open to your calling, God, open to your voice, and are willing to say yes despite the circumstances, God. Use us, Lord, understanding that, that, that when we pray that you're going to use us. But, God, I pray that you'd use us, Lord. Help us to reach this world. Help us to let others know that you love them, God. And I pray for all of us, Lord, as the enemy might come behind us, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would help us keep the faith. I pray for Pastor Travis, Lord, that you would bring, continue to bring healing upon his body, energy back, God. You already know the end of the story, Lord. We thank you for the current healing and everything you're doing, God. We pray for Ukraine, Lord, and those in Europe that are struggling today, God. And, and we pray for, for everybody, God, just to... I don't know what needs to happen, Lord, but you already know that, God. Pray for peace, for love, for miracles to work and happen, God. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.